Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Help for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now, you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found that last week's show episode, Your Path to Real Freedom, Creating Your Own Virtual Assistant Business Informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located on our Facebook and YouTube pages, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If there are questions you have or any comments you want to make, please feel free to reach out to us at media at AB and p.com. Now, let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Chris Pervishan, CPA, CVA, is the sole proprietor of his CPA firm, and he provides virtual CFO and tax services, primarily for marketing and creative agencies. Before starting his own CPA firm, Chris spent 10 years between forensic accounting and corporate accounting and finance. He's been featured in publications such as the Journal of Accountancy, Accounting Today, the Innovative Agency Podcast, Amex Open Forum, Lending Tree, the IMCEO Podcast, and the Build a Better Agency Podcast for his industry knowledge and accounting expertise. In 2018, Chris was only one of 41 CPAs honored by the American Institute of CPAs, AICPA, as a member of the Leadership Academy's 10th graduating class, Chris was selected based on his exceptional leadership skills and professional experience for the four-day Leadership Academy program, which he graduated from in October of 2018. In 2020, Chris was selected as one of the CPA practice advisors 40 under 40 for the second year in a row. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Candy. Thanks for having me on. 
I'm glad to have you. So what I always ask my guests is to give a little bit more of their background and how they got into their field. Cause I gave a little bit of a bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you even got into accounting? Good question. And um, it goes back a ways. So I was the son of an accountant. Um, my dad was an accountant and, you know, he worked for an insurance company. And so I always kind of had accounting in my, um, in, in the background, right? Like watching my dad do the long form tax returns right. on the weekends for friends and family, stuff like that on, you know, like paper and yeah, um, we don't do that anymore. But, um, you know, that was my first introduction to accounting. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to go into business. And when I got into college, I had a great accounting professor my, my freshman year, which really made all the difference because I took accounting in high school, didn't go well, which mm. you know happens. Um, but the professor that I had in my freshman year in college really kind of, um, you know, made it a more palatable subject for sure. And, and really kind of fostered that love that I have for accounting. So majored in accounting. And then um, as soon as I got out of college, I, I, I took a little detour and was a golf pro for about five minutes which is why I'm now a CPA. And um, like I said, I did that for about five minutes. And then I, I, I very quickly realized that I've got this degree that I should be using. And mm. um, that's when I got into forensic accounting and eventually started pursuing the CPA. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a long roundabout journey to where I am today. Perfect. And I know there's probably some people who hear that term forensic accounting and don't know what you mean. So can you just give a brief definition to someone that's, what's the difference really between accounting when someone's saying that and forensic accounting? Sure. Great, great question. Forensic accounting is very, very broad. Forensic evaluation services really, I guess, is probably the appropriate term for it. So that's everything from a business valuation, which is, you know, putting a, an opinion of value on, on a business, you know, how much is my business worth, that, that sort of thing, to bankruptcy, divorce, um, you know, that sort of stuff where you're really digging into the numbers and trying to figure out where the money went or trying to quantify something. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do much of that work when I was in forensics. Basically what we did was we audited insurance claims, fires, floods, that sort of thing that impacted businesses, lost income, uh, did some large like shopping malls um, that, well, I'm dating myself now, but when I got started in that, that was like the tail end of the Katrina claims. So oh, okay. a lot of apartment complexes that we did. Um, it was a very busy hurricane period when I was, when I was in that business. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, a lot of apartments, shopping malls, sports stadiums, that sort of stuff is what we did. Right. So tell me a little bit more about your firm then and what you do. Obviously you've talked a little bit about, you know, forensic accounting and things, but can you just tell us a little bit more specifically about services that you offer? Sure. So I started the firm. Uh, let's see, this is going to, this is my 11th year. It started as a side hustle, friends and family, that sort of thing. And it eventually grew to the point where um, I had to make a decision. Either I was going to continue in my um, career path or I was going to go out on my own and, and do this, which obviously is, is the path that I chose. Mm -hmm. So we started out with tax and bookkeeping, just real small, and it's uh, grown over time. Now what we do or what we specialize in is virtual CFO services for marketing and creative agencies based in Hilton Head, South Carolina, um, which if you've been there, it's a great place. It's worst places for sure. And we're a team of three. We're distributed. So we all work from home. I work from home. I've got one employee who's local to me who works from home. And then we've got one down in Georgia and she works from home as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've gone from one to three here in, in three years. So growing. Nice. Well, and that's what's nice about, you know, technology and we can kind of be anywhere and doing our jobs now too. We don't all have to be in the same room and COVID just like enhanced that obviously, but, you know, for years we've been able to kind of be 
kind of abroad. So exactly. Like we couldn't operate this way probably even five years ago. Mm-hmm. It just, it just wouldn't have been possible. Now we've got zoom and everything's great. So. Right. So you've mentioned, you know, going out on your own. So what was it that made you decide, you know, to do that? So again, if someone is listening and is maybe working for someone and they want to start their business, but they're not sure what they should be doing, you know, what was it that prompted you and what can they learn from that lesson? So for me, like a lot of my career in corporate and when I was, even when I was in corporate finance was building automation, automating processes, putting processes in place that didn't exist. And, you know, I got to the point in my career where I just felt like, you know, I could be doing this for other small businesses, you know, again, piggybacking on the, on the business that I already had, I could be doing this for other businesses that, you know, need this help and, you know, need to be able to get to this sort of information, but they don't have the budget or they don't have the time or they don't have the expertise to be able to do it. And I just really felt like I could drive a lot of value for, for small businesses who are in that situation. I mean, data is becoming more and more prolific. It's growing. the, The quantity of data is growing exponentially with every single day. So, every business needs to use data. And I just felt like I had in, um, you know, the background and the expertise and the knowledge to be able to fit that into, you know, accounting processes and drive value for small businesses. It was really, it was really that simple. I just felt like I could be more valuable, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of the role that I was currently in. Right. Well, the topic that we're going to talk about today, you know, it was called begin with the end in mind. So can you explain what that really means? And the, so it, it kind of comes out of one of the, um, the seven principles from the seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end of mind. And what I mean by that, and it kind of goes a little bit back to what we touched on a couple of minutes ago with um, valuation services. Mm-hmm. You own a business, you're operating a business. Where do you need to get to? So the first conversation you really should have is with your financial advisor. How much do I need to sell this business for at a date in the future? When does that need to be, um, you know, what is my exit plan basically? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we know what your exit is going to be, then we know that, and then, and we know where you currently are, then we can start to build a path from how you get from here to there. Right. So if you know that you need to sell your business for $10 million in 10 years, the business is currently worth $1 million. You know that you need to build up some sort of a nest egg in between. Okay. Well, we can work backwards. So we know that we need to get to 10 million. Well, how do we get there? Um, how do we make the business more attractive to, an, to a potential outside buyer? What are the risk factors that we need to think about mitigating over the course of time? Uh, what does the cash flow need to be at that point, given what we know now? And that's going to change, which is why we're going to monitor this through the course of the through the course of time. But if we know where we're trying to go, then we can start to build revenue models that make sense in order to get you from here to there. And then we can start to build cost models that are coherent with the revenue models to get you from here to there to have cash flow that is whatever number that needs to be in order to get you from here to there, and then ultimately build the value in the business. So that's what we mean by begin with the end in mind. Like, where do you need to get to? What does that look like? And where are you right now? So we can help to get you from here to there. If we're just kind of going along just to go along mm-hmm. or no, you know, if we're not, we don't have a destination in mind, then it's, it's very, very hard to, to understand like whether the processes we need to put in place, what do we need to be selling? Who, who are the people that we need? Um, what is the infrastructure that we need? That those sorts of things. Those questions become very hard to to answer without any sort of destination in mind. Right. I think it's important where you know you 
create this plan, but you also know you have to go back and look at it and monitor things and make those adjustments as things are happening. And, you know, it's just like when you have a budget or something too, and, you know, you're looking at your budget to your actuals and you can update that as necessary. So I think for people to realize this is not like a one and done, you have to go back and continually monitor and make those changes, correct? Exactly. So we know what we, we know where we need to get to, we know where we are. And then in another year, we'll look at where you are relative to where you, where you started. And the, so we do that so we can start to ask questions. Mm-hmm. What went well? What didn't go well? What are the assumptions that we made a year ago? How did they pan out? Did they pan out? Did they not pan out? Did we have a pandemic? Who knows? Um, so what more, what adjustments do we now need to make in order to still hit that timeline? So are we ahead of schedule behind? If we're behind, why are we behind and where we do we need to catch up? Do we need to extend that period of timeout? So instead of selling the business in 10 years, maybe we need to sell it in 12. Mm-hmm. Or can we accelerate it? Well, maybe we can sell it in eight. Who knows? But the, the, the whole entire thing, and we talk about this with budgeting, we talk about this with the business plan, um, certainly with cash flow, is to measure this and monitor it over the course of time so you can make course corrections. That's, that's the key is to revisit right. it. It's definitely not a one and done type deal. Mm-hmm. So when you're helping someone come up with that plan or their financial planner is helping them come up with that plan too, do they have kind of multiple scenarios? Like, well, what if I decide to have my kids take over? What if I decide to sell to an employee or what if I decide to sell to an outside person? Do you have like different scenarios in that whole kind of plan? Or is that like, as time, you know, gets closer to that date that they want to sell, they start looking at that more. Like what would someone do in terms of that situation? Yeah. And those, those are all the unknowns, especially when we're talking about family and succession planning, right? Because, you know, your, your son or daughter might be 15 years old and the plan is for them to take over the family business. And, you know, before you know it, they're majoring in basket weaving and they don't, they don't want, they don't want anything to do it. So, you know, what do you do at that point? You're probably going to sell it to an outside party. Hmm. If it's, uh, if you're going to sell it to family, if you're going to give it to them, um, there's certainly different there's different aspects to that. I mean, you've got to build your own wealth at that point. So you can get to the point where you can give it away because at some point you've got to retire. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's any number of factors that can go into that and those circumstances change and they change rapidly and they're going to change over time because generally we're not talking about, you know, two year time periods here. We're talking about 10, 15, 20 years. Right. So that's why that's one of the reasons why you've got to monitor it. Right. Well, I think that's important to mention though, too, like you're saying, it's a long timeline because I think sometimes people think, you know, three years before I'm going to do this, I need to start planning, but you're obviously saying plan for this, you know, a decade in advance or even more. Sure. In a lot of cases, three years isn't enough time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds good and three years sounds like it's really far away, especially now. Um, But it's, it's really not. I mean, if you're thinking about okay, we just did a valuation for your business and it's not nearly what you think it is because you've got a ton of old inventory or mm-hmm. you don't have processes in place. Like you're doing everything by paper. I mean, if you think about just changing an accounting system or a finance system um, to just account for the way that the world works now and to ca- start to capture data so that you can start to make um, you know, decisions on that data, implementing something like that, I mean, that's a year long process in itself. And then you're going to go through another year of figuring out whether or not you're capturing the right data and whether or not it's, it's the right mix and you're making the right decisions and you're even asking the right questions. Well, there's another year. So you're already two years into this process. And I mean, have you gotten the whole way there if you're really trying to make these huge, meaningful changes? I mean, probably not. This is a much longer time horizon that you need to be thinking about this. Right. So can you talk about the process for actually valuing a business? Like what goes into that number? 
That is, it is a big process for sure. It is very industry specific. Um, so there's, there's a couple of ways that you can value the business uh, or value a business. The most common way is based on some sort of a benefit to an owner, which is generally going to be earnings or cash flow or however you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first place that we start. Then we start to look at multiples based on um, what other companies are selling for, what makes sense, you know, the risk level in your business. And then we get into specific company multiples and factors that exist there. Um, how well are things documented in your business? How standardized in it is it? Um, how consistent is the cash flow? Great example for S corp owners is whether or not they're actually taking reasonable compensation, mm-hmm. which makes the business either look more profitable or less, depending on how you look at that. Uh, so there's all sorts of adjustment, adjustments that need to be made, but really it's a very deep dive into the business and seeing how it operates and gathering a lot of financial data mm-hmm. and layering on top of that in industry analysis and an economic analysis and a risk analysis to, to kind of come to some sort of a range or, or opinion of value that um, your business is worth. Mm-hmm. So That's when very you're high yeah, as when you're looking at that value, then too, if you're taking, you know, let's say a profit and loss, and you're looking at some of the expenses that are on there, do you then say like, well, some of these may not actually be expensed with another owner, you know, maybe there's, you know, two or four owners that are on medical that maybe a, one buyer is going to have one or, you know, whatever, there's maybe some spending or maybe someone, you know, is spending more on website development over time or, or, you know, just a lot of different expenses. Do you kind of go through the line items and then say like, well, these aren't all really necessary expenses and that would go back into adding value back in if that money wasn't spent or do you just use their profit and loss and other financial reports to just say based on this, this is what the value is. Right. So yeah, we will normalize um, the financials which gets into like that, that S corp thing that I, or the reasonable compensation thing that I, mm-hmm. that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Um, we're going to normalize owner's compensation. We're going to think about anything that's in the business that won't exist for a likely buyer or mm-hmm. things that will exist for a likely buyer. A great example would be loan terms. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a loan with like a family member, that's not at market rates, well then, you know, obviously right. your interest expense would be higher if you went and, and got a market rate loan. There's all sorts of adjustments that that could potentially happen. And, you know, that's why we do a really deep dive with, with the owner. And we ask a lot of questions and we really need to understand what, what is actually in the financials when, when we're looking at them, but they've got to be normalized to, to mm-hmm. some extent for sure. So do you also take into consideration, you know, let's say a goodwill per se, like, you know, this person has been in the business for so long and has built these relationships that that's helping with the revenue. And if that person goes away, revenue can be impacted or like, what would you do in a scenario like that? Right. So that's when we start to look at the company specific risk premium. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of factors that go into that too. Um, one of the things to think about, if you've got relationships that are totally key to the owner, who's going to be selling, that's a, that's the point where you want to, um, you want to do a couple of things. Like, and over time, what we would advise is number one, try to make sure that those relationships become less dependent on you. So mm-hmm. um get other people in the business involved in having those relationships because that will ultimately make your business more, more profitable. But then the other thing is um, structuring the sale so that um, it is incumbent upon you to maintain those relationships and to make sure that they're passed off in a, in a, in a way that's appropriate and profitable for the, for the buyer as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's some, some sort of a stay on period where you stay in the business, you know, you've sold it, but you stay in the business for a year or two to transition ownership or transition processes or whatever that is transition relationships. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a couple of considerations there that you need to make. Mm-hmm. Well, earlier when we first started talking, you mentioned like a revenue model or a cost model. So I would love to like dive into that a little bit more. So let's start with your revenue model. So what really is a revenue model? A revenue model sounds really fancy, but it's really just the way that you're going to, you're going to make money selling stuff, goods and services. Um, so what do you sell? What price do you sell it at? How do you price it? Really kind of simple. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about um, professional service firms, which is who we target and who we help. Um, when we're talking about services, we're talking about packages. What can you package together? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? Um, and then how do you price it? Generally, what we like to see is value-based pricing. So mm-hmm. um, charging the highest price, driving value for the, for the client, but charging the highest price so that it's not necessarily built on some sort of an hourly rate or anything like that, because the more efficient that you become, the, the less profitable you actually become. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to see some sort of value-based billing. And, and what we really um, you know, try, to, try to help our clients with is what does that look like? What are the things that we can guarantee in order to drive a higher price? Um, right. What are the things that we can package together? What are the things that make sense that are coherent? What are the things that we just shouldn't be doing? What are the things we should be doing? Um, so that's what it is to build a revenue model. It's whatever service or product you're gonna, um, you're gonna be selling and then what, trying to generate some sort of a pricing model that, that makes sense. So it sounds like if someone comes to you and says, you know, we sell product A or service B, you know, and this is what we charge. And if you sit down and look at it with them and realize like that's not really an ideal price, do you actually help them change their pricing on what they're selling? I know you said, you know, you hope that they have, you know, the value added instead of just hourly or something like that too. But if someone is still, let's say they even have a value added pricing, but it's really not where it needs to be. Do you analyze that with them and help them make those changes? Yep, absolutely. Um, really common com- conversation that we'll have is somebody will come to us, they'll say, hey, guess what? Big day, we just implemented a new like subscription type service mm-hmm. and we're gonna charge whatever, $100 for it. Okay, cool. Well, how did you come up with $100? Mm-hmm. Well, we looked at a bunch of other websites and that seems to be like what our competitors are charging. Okay, but you don't have the same skill set. You don't have the same clientele. You don't have the same cost structure. What other people charge, I mean, it's a little bit relevant, but not really. Mm-hmm. So let's think about, and, and then we walk through it. Like, okay, well, how many of these subscriptions can you reasonably deliver to clients every month? Well, we can do 10. Okay, so you're maxing yourself out at $1,000. Is that going to be enough for you to live on? No. Okay, well, we need to go back to the drawing board. Right. Okay. Um, so we can start with a hundred dollars, which is, which is market rate, but you're delivering X, Y, and Z. Well, maybe it doesn't make sense to have X, Y, and Z in the package. Maybe it needs to be X and Y. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so we got rid of Z. Cool. Well, what else can we deliver? That's not necessarily going to create some sort of a time constraint or a process constraint or a resource constraint on you, but that would be a value add to the client. And, you know, like, here's a great example. We'll, we'll guarantee that if you send us an email, we'll get back to you in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like one of the most common things that I hear across industries, it doesn't matter is, you know, my service provider, whoever it is that they are, they just never get back to me. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, 
just guarantee that, that you'll send some, like, you don't have to solve the world's problems in a day, but just get back to somebody in, in 24 hours and just say, Hey, got your message. We're working on it. You know, you can, that is something that'll be a value add to somebody. And they're, you know, the, the, the world is your oyster in, in, in that regard. Like, just think of the things that you can guarantee. You can be as creative as you want to. Um, and you don't necessarily need to create a huge burden on the business by, by guaranteeing, by guaranteeing things, you know? Right. Um, and then that's how you can drive up the value. That's part of it. That's how you differentiate yourself. Right. Um, but we want to, we want to be thinking about ways that you can differentiate yourself from that market rate, which doesn't really apply to your business anyway, and doesn't make any sense for your business. Right. That's a good point. I know I've told people in the past, you know, when they're looking at pricing, I might ask them a question and they'll say, well, I just looked at the cost and then, then I just doubled it. And that's what I'm selling it for. And it's like, okay, well, did you take into consideration your overhead and, you know, the cost of rent and insurance and all of those things. So I think, like you say, sometimes there's like a more simplistic idea of how to do it. And sometimes, you know, they have to really look into things a little bit deeper than here it is. It's just this times two, <laughs> you know, things like that. Exactly. So, so it's good exactly. to have a professional that can, really guide them and get that, that pricing. So, so we just talked about the revenue, but what about the cost model? Cost model is, is really, yeah. And it's, and it's a great question. It's probably the most fun, um, which in my opinion, anyway, <laughs> which is, I guess a little bit weird, but there's, there's two components to it. There's the variable, there's the very uh, variable component and there's the fixed component. Mm -hmm. So the variable component that's going to be cost that you incur every time that you incur a dollar of revenue. So cost that you would not otherwise incur unless you were selling something, unless you had a client, that sort of thing. Right. Um, a great example in the agency space is if you sell a website to somebody and you have contractors who build these websites for you, you know, a web designer, you wouldn't pay that web designer if you also didn't have a client who's demanding that you build them a website. Right. Fair enough. Right. So we want to think about, um, the margins that we are going to get on something like web design and the way that, you know, the way that we go about that is, okay, well, what are um, industry ben benchmark margins and industry benchmarks are, are a great thing to look at. They are not, they're not gospel, but um, they're interesting places to start conversations and to start to ask questions. So, you know, if you're going to sell a website for a hundred dollars, but you're going to pay a contractor or whatever, $20. And so your margin is going to be 80, assuming there's no other expenses, you know, is that good or bad? Mm -hmm. And we don't know. So we'll, so we'll look at some industry benchmarks and we'll try to get an idea. Um, what are the other costs that are going to go in there? We're going to, we're going to think about that. And that can start to inform pricing a, a little bit, but not, not a ton. You know, we want to be, again, we want to be value pricing. We want to be getting the highest dollar that we can based on things that are not going to constrain our business. Um, so really just kind of getting to a place where, okay, if we know that we sell, um, a website based on this pricing methodology. And we know that this is going to be our cost structure from a variable variable perspective. It's going to make sense. Okay. That's, that's where we need to be. And you can manage that, right? Mm -hmm. You can um, talk to vendors, you can get different vendors, uh, renegotiate, um, figure out ways to cut costs and, and, and make processes more efficient, things like that. Right. Then we get to the fixed side, which mm -hmm. is an animal unto itself. Um, so we know what our margin is going to be. We know how much capacity we have. We know what our revenue is expected to be based on what our capacity is and assuming that we sell out the, so we, the fixed, the, the fixed side now is what we've got to manage because that's going to determine how much of that 80 cents that I just talked about literally hits your bank account and falls to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, places that we always start about controlling fixed expenses are rent's a good one, especially now. Because mm -hmm. everybody's working, a lot of people are working remotely anyway. 
So rent's a good place to control expenses. Um, payroll is, is basically always going to be your largest expense. So that's the place to look at it. That's why measuring capacity is so important and tracking that over time, uh, making sure that you've got the right number of resources and that you know, you're not paying people that you really shouldn't be paying. Um, software subscriptions is a big one because it is so easy to just click the button and subscribe at like $9.99 or $19.99 a month and buy 10 seats. And then before you know it, at the end of the year, you're like, where did all my money go? Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the places that we look at. Shopping for insurance. You mentioned that a couple of minutes ago, always shopping for insurance, uh, making sure that you're getting the best rates, things like that. But we want to be, you know, measuring those fixed expenses, managing them, you know, looking at, um, what vendors are paying on a consistent basis, where the money's going. So we can, we can manage that process and get the most out of that $80, $80 that we talked about. Right. Well, and I know we've talked about like these two different models and we've talked about, you know, just kind of different things leading up to this question of what, you know, businesses can do to kind of increase the value. But do you have like specific ways that you want to share like tips for someone? Like if you're thinking, you know, of growing your business and increasing the value, like these are the things that you should be doing. First thing off the top of, off the top of mind is make sure you have a cash reserve and make sure that it's sufficient. Generally, we say somewhere between two and six months of fixed expenses in reserve. So in other words, if you had no money coming in, you could still operate the business and still go out there and pound pavement and sell your services and your, and your goods and things like that. Mm-hmm. So have a cash reserve, know where your cash is and try to figure out and try to forecast. And if you, you know, if you can't do it yourself, make sure that you have a competent professional help you. Um, but forecast, like how long is it gonna actually take me to get to that reserve level where I can be comfortable? And we call it the can you sleep at night index because really that's what it is. Like if you have enough cash in your business, you're not going to, you're not going to bed at night, you know, tossing and turning and thinking about, well, how am I going to make payroll next week? You'll be okay. Right. You can go through that downturn. You can be okay. And really what it does is it allows you to make the decisions that you want to make as opposed to the decisions that you have to make. Right. One of the common um, things that we see is somebody, you know, business owners, they get, they get stressed out, you know, a ton of work comes in. They're not prepared for it. It's like, holy cow, I got to go higher now. And you don't have any cash in reserve. And invariably what that leads to is you hire too early instead of making other hard decisions somewhere else and you get an immediate cash crunch and it's very uncomfortable and nobody likes it. And so that's the downstream impact of that. So number one, have it, have a cash reserve and just know where your cash position is and how long it's going to take you to get to that reserve. Mm-hmm. Number, number two. So that's number one. Number two, document everything in your business is a great way to increase the value of your business. So mm-hmm. If you have, you know, think about a professional services firm, um, you're probably doing all sorts of different tasks. Um, maybe they're for different clients. Maybe clients have their own kind of um, requirements that you have to meet. If you can document all of that and everybody documents their processes, they have it in a knowledge base, you know, screenshots and step-by-step instructions. This is how you do this. And this is how you do this. And then what you've created it is basically um, a manual where somebody can come in and buy your business and they can step in on day one and they can just open the manual and say, okay, this is how we do it. Cool. Right. So that increases the value of your business exponentially. And then number three, I would say increase cash flow because at the end of the day, the value of your business is going to be based on how much cash your um, your business generates. And it's it's really that simple. So if you want to increase cash flow, what we do is we increase revenue, we increase prices, right? Getting into that whole value pricing thing. And right. we control costs really, really well. That mm-hmm. simple which I think that comment leads me into the next question that I had for you. So then how does your revenue model and a cost model actually fit into the overall business strategy? Well, 
the revenue model and the cost model, they need to be coherent. So they need to make sense with each other and within the business's strategy. Mm-hmm. And the business strategy really needs to fall into one of three buckets. You've got pricing strategy, which means that you're the lowest cost producer. And if you're going to be the lowest cost producer, then really your, your pricing doesn't matter so much. It's just whatever the lowest, what are, you know, you go look at your competitor's website and it's got to be the lowest, it's got to be the lowest price. And then like your whole business strategy at that point really is aggressive cost management and volume. It's that simple. So it can be that. It can be a horizontal strategy, which basically just means that you do something that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've got a lot of leeway if that's you, because I mean, you are the market, you've got, a, you got a ton of leeway. So, um, you know, you, you've, that's, that's a different game unto itself, because if you're in that, if you're in that space, then you know that somebody else is coming for you. Somebody's going to try to replace you, mm-hmm. but you're going to have some period of time where, you know, you can be kind of laissez-faire, not the best idea, but you can be and still be profitable because there's nobody else competing with you really. Right. Um, you know, and, and in that case, what you want to be focusing on is always innovating. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about, um, you know, how does the revenue and the cost model tie into a, a horizontal business strategy? Well, in your PL, in your budget, in your budgeted PL, you've got to have you know some sort of expense in there for continuing education and RD and, and those sorts of things where that's what you're investing in. And you're always trying to be that you know horizontal dominant market producer. Okay, so that's two. Three would be vertical, where you're picking a specific um type of customer and that is who you service Mm -hmm. and to some extent you know you need to have the r&d and the continuing education there too you know to make yourself better at serving that particular person um and you've got to be really diligent about who that person is because they it changes over time right i mean you know technology is is moving as 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 fast as it ever has and it's never going to go slower so you know markets are going to be changing over time you've got to be really diligent about figuring out like, does this client that I'm trying to service even still exist? Right. Right. Um, So in that case, I mean, you've got to be spending your money and thinking about models that, um, that make sense to that, you know, what are the prices that my competitor, so this gets into, you know, what are my competitors charging? Right. But there's going to be other competitors in that market who are serving that specific client. Um, How do you differentiate yourself? What are their costs? You know, do your costs even make sense relative to to competitors costs, things like that. So Mm you've got to fit into one of those three buckets. We find that when you try to straddle two, that's when your focus kind of gets a little bit awry. And um, once focus gets awry, that's that's when you kind of muddle along, right? The the clients who we work with who are really, really successful, they know which strategy they're trying to focus on. Um, they manage their cash flow really, really well. They revisit their um, their business plan on a consistent basis, and they they know what lane they're trying to stay in, and they focus on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you just mentioned to a business plan. I bet you know a lot of people are probably saying, "What <laughs> a business plan?" <laughs> you know, they probably don't even have one. You know, I mean, more established businesses do, but do you want to just touch on then a business plan? What they should be including in that? Absolutely. Really, really at a very simple level, who you are, what you do, how you do it, who you do it for, and what the vision for the future is. Mm-hmm. And then you can go as, as, as far down to the weeds as you want, but if you can cover those basic elements, then you can be, you can be successful, right? Mm-hmm. And in the business plan, when we're revisiting it, 
who you do it for, which we just kind of touched on with the three different types of strategy and how you do it, because those things are going to change over time. Right. Some stuff is going to work. Some stuff isn't going to work. You've got to revisit that and make sure that what you're trying to do is working and it's going to work. Right. Yep. Well, I know this has been a good overview of this topic and I'm sure there's more information that you could share, um, but it is getting close to the time for us to wrap up. So what I would love to have you do is just share if you have an offer that you want to have, you know, for available for the listeners, what that might be. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. Uh, so like I mentioned, we focus on marketing and creative agencies and we've got a brand new ebook that's out. It's called Scaling the Data Driven Agency. You can download it at betterwaycpa.com slash data-driven agency. And it basically just goes through our process of how you scale a data-driven um, marketing or creative agency and using the data that is in your agency in order to inform decisions along the way and continue to iterate. So it kind of goes a little bit deeper on a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. Mm -hmm. And if someone wants to reach out to you, can you share how they can connect with you? Absolutely. Uh, social media all over the place. Websites, betterwaycpa.com. Facebook is betterwaycpa. Instagram is betterwaycpa. Twitter is betterwaycpa. Uh, we're, we're all over the place at betterwaycpa. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Chris, for being a guest on my show and talking about this topic, giving an introduction of, you know, just really planning for that sale of their business in the future. I really appreciate your expertise and you're sharing that with us. Thanks so much, Candy. I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. Sure. And I also want to thank the listeners for tuning in as well today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about begin with the end in mind. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Chris at any of the links that he shared, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share the show information with those you know? We'd really appreciate your support. I hope you can join us next week for another important topic. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. And remember, you can find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify as well. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.